0: who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.
1: A reading from Isaiah. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord.
2: reading from Romans. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction This is the Holy Gospel of our
3: Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and scribes coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, and every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gathers his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Great to see you, Lord Christ.: Let's pray. Lord we do come to you, we um, seek you um, this morning and pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us that you would grow us. Lord we thank you, that in you um, we receive uh, the very spirit of God. And we pray, Lord, um, that you would uh, build us up and form us um, through your spirit. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So when uh, my wife, uh, Molly, uh, was uh, about nine years old, um, she uh, planned a surprise birthday party uh, for her mom, who was turning 35 uh, years old. Um, And uh, Molly... um, uh, kind of thought through the things that she needed t- to do to prepare uh, for this birthday party. She checked uh, with her dad uh, to make sure the time of day that she was planning on was open uh, for her parents, that her mom would be home. Um, she asked her dad to go get invitations um, for her um, so that she could send out invitations to people coming to the uh, party, inviting them to the surprise party. She asked a few of those people uh, to bring food. Um, she made a cake. And so, for, as a nine-year-old especially, she was very well-prepared. Um, but there was one thing that she sort of missed in her preparations, uh, which was um, taking into account the number of people invited um, and um, what that meant in light of how much food to prepare. Um, and part of the challenge was, is as she started to make invitations, she kept thinking of more and more people to invite um, to this party. She thought of people at the church, people in her um, neighborhood, her dad later said that he should have been suspicious when he was going back to the store for a third time to buy more invitations, um, that maybe he needed to limit how many people, uh, Molly invited. Uh, so I think she ended up inviting like a hundred of uh, folks, uh, more than a hundred people to her mom's surprise birthday party. She asked two or three of them to bring food. Um, and you can guess if a nine-year-old says, I'm, I'm planning a party, would you bring some food? You're probably thinking five, ten people at this party, not a hundred people. Um, so, uh, people started coming, um, Molly's mom, of course, was delightfully surprised that her daughter had planned a surprise party for her. And then her surprise just increased as people kept coming into the door um, for her uh, birthday. Um, they quickly realized that they did not have enough food. Um, her mom went to the kitchen and looked through the cupboards and found pancake mix. And so for the next uh, two hours, three hours, she made pancakes for 100 of her closest friends um, as they celebrated her birthday, and she stood in the kitchen uh, preparing pancakes uh, for them. Um, so again... Good preparation, like I said, especially impressive as a nine-year-old. I certainly was not doing anything to that level um, as a nine-year-old. Uh, but there were ways in which um, Molly realized she was not as prepared as she thought she was. Right? That, that she realized as the time came, ooh, there was more I needed to do to prepare. And that message, actually, you are not as prepared as you think you are, is actually in many ways the heart of John the Baptist's message that we hear here here in the gospel reading that um, uh, we just heard um, this morning. He is saying that with love, I believe, but he is saying that with clarity and with strength. You need to prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord is coming. And I want you to know, I want to warn you, there are probably ways that you think you are prepared that you are not. It's a sobering message, but it's a very important message Right, John the Baptist is, is celebrated and his message is highlighted in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Right? As I, I shared last week, traditionally in the season of Advent, we talk about and we focus on John the Baptist and, and hear his message. And I want to hear it today in two ways. I want to hear it as hearers of the message for those who need to receive this. And hear how the Lord is speaking to us through his servant John, the message of repentance But also I want to consider his message as those who are called to share a similar message. John the Baptist is unique. His ministry is unique. But there are ways in which as we look at the ministry of John, we can say this is our ministry. As the people of God, as the church, we're called to prepare the way. We're called to share this message of repentance. So again, let's hear it as those who need to hear this message for ourselves and those who are called to share this message. Now, as we think about being hearers of this message, we can note the time when John was was preaching, when he was doing this ministry, Jesus' ministry was about to begin, but Jesus had not begun publicly teaching yet. He had not begun his ministry of healing and proclamation that would come soon. John the Baptist is the forerunner. He's preparing the way so that people will be more open to receiving the message of Jesus. And so, um, he is talking to people who have not yet met Jesus, who have not yet heard Jesus the message of christ and in the same way right this is an important message for those who have not yet met jesus who do not yet know him and maybe today there's some of you for whom that's true maybe you're at church you're curious maybe someone invited you to come today but you're saying i'm not yet sure what i believe do i want to place my faith in this jesus right what reason do i have to do that do i need him and I would encourage you, if that's the case, first of all, thank you for being here and let you know how honored we are that, you'd hear, that you're here, but I encourage you to take to heart that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I realize maybe some of you hear that and you think, like, isn't that like the stereotypical like message for like kind of like what angry Christians say, you know, sort of the cartoon, you know, of the angry pastor is, you know, he points a bony finger at you and says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? Maybe you associate that with, you know, be afraid. There's an angry God out there who wants to get you, and you better repent. Maybe you even hear hearing that a little bit of message of, you know, hate yourself. Be down on yourself. Right? Sort of a solemn message. That's actually a message of freedom, the, the call to repent. What John is saying that, what the scriptures is saying that when they say repent, is they are saying, turn away from those things that actually harm you. Turn away from those things that you do that harm others. Come into peace. Come into freedom. That's what repentance is. When John says in verse um, 7 there, um, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Or verse 8, I'm sorry. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If we ask the question, what's that fruit? Right? Is that fruit fear? Is that fruit you know, self-hatred? No. But the fruit of bearing with repentance, right, it may be a godly sorrow. But it's a godly sorrow that actually leads to, leads to reconciled relationships. It's a sorrow that leads to healing. It's a sorrow and a turning away that leads to justice. There is a freedom that comes as we hear the message of repentance. I'm always struck um, during the, the season of, of Christmas of the, like, lasting influence and love for Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like, there are theaters that every year, right, they do the Christmas Carol. That's the only thing they do, and they sell out. Like, we can't get enough of that story. And they keep making, like, movies, like Muppet versions of it and different versions of it, right? And again, and I love them. I, I enjoy them all. And um, we just watched a new sort of, you know, uh, Carol-esque kind of Dickens-esque uh, sort of movie um, this week um, as a family, right? And that's a story of repentance. Why do we love the story of Scrooge? Right? Because we love the ending when he repents, when he turns away. Right? When he you know, discovers he needs to care for Tiny Tim and care for Bob Cratchit, and right, we love that. I, I always want more of it at the end of the, the you know, Christmas Carol. Like, I want to see more of Scrooge in these repentant, reconciled, healed relationships. It's actually a, a, a deep love we have in the movie. Again, I watched this past week, sort of influenced by um, uh, a Christmas Carol. One of the main themes of the movie was is anyone unredeemable? Is there anyone that is beyond redemption? And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, this is a Hollywood movie that's actually asking a key question that the scriptures both ask and answer. Which is, no. Right? No one is beyond the redemption of Jesus. Right? He offers healing and forgiveness to anyone who comes to him. So to receive that message of repentance. But let me also say, for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, and have put our faith in him, and have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which John speaks about, who have received new life, eternal life in Jesus... There's still a message for us to take to heart. And in particular, look at um, verse 9 there. When um, John says, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And I want us to take to heart that do not presume. What are ways in which perhaps we are um, tempted where we give in to presumption? And where do we need to hear John's message against presumption? Now, when he says um, to them, do not presume, um, because you have you know Abraham as your father, he's not denying that they have Abraham as their father. He's not denying that that's something to honor and to celebrate, right? That's an incredible privilege, that they are children of Abraham, that they belong to the people of God, a people that God chose for himself to be a nation set apart. So John's not downplaying that as a, well, at all, right? I mean, John's a prophet of the people of God. He is a member of the people of Israel. But he's saying to them, Don't let that lead you into presumption. Don't let that membership among the people of God, among the nation of Israel, mean that you don't have to hear the message of repentance. You are missing out. Your presumption actually could lead you to failing to see the way in which God is calling you to repent. In the same way as the children of God, as those who have put our faith in Jesus, we can still hear this message. Not that we deny that we have been saved, right? We celebrate that. That's not presumptuous to celebrate our salvation. But it's presumptuous to say, hey, I've been saved. I don't need to repent. I don't need to continue to turn to the Lord. Yes, our sins have been completely forgiven. We celebrate that. and I'm in no way denying that. But I'm saying to live in the forgiveness of the Lord is actually to continue to repent, to continue to turn to him, to say, Lord, where there are things and the way I'm living that are not in line with who you are, not in line with how you call me to live, help me to turn from those. May I turn from those and turn to you? You know, it's a good question to ask. What maybe leads us to be presumptuous, to actually sort of write off that message of repentance? Maybe we're a little bit like the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? Maybe we feel like, look, I've done the church thing my whole life. I know the Bible really well. I know theology really well, which is great. We celebrate that. But that leads to, I don't need to repent, right? I've got it down. It's very likely, right? There's some blind spots, perhaps, that the Lord wants to shine a light upon. Maybe our presumption is, you know, I'm very generous, right? I, you know, love Christmas. I give give away a lot. I love serving people, which, again, is so good. But does that lead to actually us missing out, maybe, ways that the Lord wants to grow us and form us? I find actually the presumption takes place when I'm too busy looking at other people um, and not so much looking at the Lord, but looking at others and being like, well, I'm doing better than that guy. And that one person I think I'm doing better with, and they're really a mess. And so I'm pretty good, right? I kind of can get clear on my place where the Lord says, look to me right," and, and, and hear from me and lovingly right, receive um, that loving call, um, uh, willingly receive that loving call to repent. And so there's a message again, I Encourage us to hear and ask the Lord to help us to hear. But like I said, it's also a message we're called to share. John the Baptist, again, is unique in his calling, but we can learn from his calling. And in particular, what I would highlight is we can learn from the clarity and the confidence he has in his calling. Like, John is very confident in what the Lord has called him to do. And by being confident, I don't mean he's arrogant or he's, you know, prideful about that calling, but rather he's just really clear. Right When we're confident in something, we act, right? If I'm confident that I'm a good swimmer, I'll jump in the lake, right? I'll jump in a pool. And John is confident in the calling that the Lord has put on him, which is really a confidence in the Lord, right? And so and we're told, verse 3, for this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, when Isaiah said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the ways of the Lord, make his path straight. In the Gospel of John, another account about account in the Gospel of John about John the Baptist. There's a place where people ask John the Baptist, who are you? And John actually replies and says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Right? He understands this passage is about me. I'm the fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah. John recognizes I'm called in the same way that the Old Testament prophets were called. He wouldn't have called them the Old Testament prophets as we call them. But he saw his lineage um, there. He saw him continuing their ministry. If you read this and you wonder, like, why are we told what John wore? Like, why is that important? I don't remember that much in the Bible. What did people wear? But it's because, actually, when you read that description of what John wore in verse 4, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, we find pretty much the same description of somebody wearing that um, in Second Kings in a description of Elijah, the prophet. And we later see that John is actually the one who came in the spirit of Elijah, right? There's a promise in the book of Malachi that Elijah would return, and his return basically is seen in the ministry of John the Baptist. But John is very consciously doing that, right? He clearly clo- chose those clothing items, the camel's hair and the leather belt, to show I'm coming as a prophet, right? I have confidence, and that's what I'm called to do. And what John calls them to, to be baptized, was a shocking thing. We've become used to John the Baptist. But it's helpful to remember that no one to our knowledge had ever called Jewish people to be baptized. That was an entirely new thing. Now again, there was precedent from what we know, from what we can tell, of non-Jewish people, of Gentiles, who wanted to convert to Judaism, who had put their faith in the God of Israel for them to be baptized as part of their conversion, as part of them coming into the nation of Israel. And so can you imagine you've been born into the nation of Israel? Again, you are a child of Abraham, and you are told by someone you have to be baptized. What actually previously only Gentile converts had to go through, you had to go through. And what would we expect? If we kind of imagine somebody, you know, meeting with John and saying, John, let me put forward, like, this is what your ministry should look like. Here's the key to a successful ministry. First of all, you should be out in the wilderness Make it really hard for people to find you. Like make it like they have to take a long journey to hear your message. Um, And then you should dress in weird clothing and you should eat locusts because that's gross. um, And that'll help draw people to you. And and then you should tell them that they have to be baptized. You should give a really offensive message to them. And then if some of the really influential leaders show up, call them a brood of vipers. It's always helpful to insult people when you're teaching them to win them over. Right? I mean, we could say, like, there's every reason, as we look at John's ministry, that it should have failed, that nobody should have gone out to him. He shouldn't have had any disciples working alongside of him. Right? What a mess. But what do we read? Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They loved John. Then people were amazed, right, at, at the people that came to him to hear from him. And I'm sure, you know, John was a great communicator. But clearly, this is the Lord, right? Just as we heard from Uh, Betsy and Ellison's uh, testimony that they just shared with us. This is God's work, right? John's just sort of the vessel that the Lord's using, an obedient, you know, wonderful vessel. But it's God's work working through John that is drawing people. I mean, it's amazing. When you read the Gospels, right, we see later after John died the pharisees and the religious leaders are still afraid to say anything negative about him because he was so beloved right there's a time where jesus asked them a question about john and they kind of just get really quiet because they're like we're not going to say anything bad about john that's what we see right with a confidence in god's calling that he acted out of that and god honored that right he bore fruit in keeping with the confidence in his calling now we may say, okay, yeah, but that's, you know, that's John the Baptist. I mean, again, the guy had a miraculous birth. Not as miraculous as Jesus' birth, right? But he was born to parents that were well beyond childbearing age, right? An angel appeared to his father. He's unusual, right? His calling is prophesied in the Scriptures. But our calling is also in the Word of God, right? Different from John, yes, it was very specific for John. But we can read God's Word and we can say, I see my calling here. I see what God has promised to do through his people, how he's promised to work through his people, just one place, and it's all over the scriptures, but one that we um, studied recently um, from First Peter, which we were in First Peter this fall, um, these great um, verses, or this great verse from chapter um, two, verse nine, First Peter, but you are a chosen race. This is your calling, right? Peter and the Holy Spirit through Peter is saying to us, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we can read that we could say, oh, that's, that's me. That's my calling. Right? That I'm actually called to um, be part of a royal priesthood. That I am called by God to call people out of darkness into the marvelous light, right? To proclaim the excellencies of him who bring people out of darkness into light. That's a calling that we've been given. And we can have a confidence in that. We can say, ah, this is how God has called me, right? And I can live that out in, you know, whatever specific callings he's given me. Again, I think they're very unique callings that the Lord has for each of us. And part of growing in Christ is discerning and seeking him around that calling. But we can be clear as we seek him in regard to our specific calling that we share that calling, a priesthood, right? To represent God to the world, to intercede on behalf of people that they may know the Lord. To proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and into light. This is our calling. So what does that look like? What does it look like to have confidence in that calling that God is actually at work through us? That it's not all up to us. That's how we often feel, right? That's all up to me. Actually, again, it's just trusting that God will work through me. In some ways, as I was thinking about that, what does that look like? You know, maybe that looks like praying for someone. Who maybe isn't a person of prayer. Who maybe it's kind of weird when you say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? Can I promise to pray for you? Can I check in to see how God's answering these prayers? I've experienced um, numerous times, as I know many of you have, that as I kind of make that risk, hey, can I say a prayer for you? Even people that have no interest in the faith whatsoever will say, yeah. And then I'll say, well, can I pray for you right now? Like, yeah, that's kind of weird, but sure, right? I mean, I'll take it. right? can't hurt, you know. <laughs> like, you know, I'll take prayer. You know, maybe it'll help. It's a blessing, right? And you're demonstrating to them, this is about the Lord, right? Not, not so much about me, I can, I can pray for you, but it's about trusting in him. Maybe it's listening in conversations, which I'm trying to grow in as I talk with folks to so just listen, how is God at work, right? I'm trusting he's at work, I'm trusting that I'm called to serve him, but help me, Lord, to hear, how are you at work in this person's life? What are the things as they're sharing that I can see glimmers, right? I can see hints of God's hand at work there, leading them and calling them. Right? Maybe it looks like inviting someone to simply carols, saying, come. Right? Do you have a place to sing Christmas carols? Right? You hear them at the mall, dude, but you actually have a place to sing. Come join us. Right? We would love to have you. Right? Maybe that looks like just engaging in intercession for those who are far from God, right? to actually believe no one is beyond redemption, and to ask the Lord for faith to persevere in praying and lifting up right? situations and people that seem beyond, to live into this faith that God can do above and beyond. What we ask or imagine. And this calling, right, again, it's, it's, you know, as you think through how God works in your spiritual and your specific calling to sort of avoid, you know, that sense of like, well, they're spiritual and they're secular and God works in the spiritual stuff but not in the secular stuff, but to kind of open your mind to the various ways that God works in the various places he's called you. I remember hearing a, a sermon many years ago from a, a man named Robertson McQuilkin, an amazing um, teacher. He's since uh, passed away. But he was sharing about how God had called him in different times in his life. And he shared about how God uh, called him and his wife and his family to serve as missionaries in Japan. A very hard place um, to serve as missionaries. But God actually used them to start some churches there. And they saw God work through that. Then God called him actually to um, become president of a Bible college. And God used him there. And the Bible college grew. And actually, as the Bible college was growing and expanding and his work was, you know, he was just seeing fruitfulness in his work, um, he, he sensed a new calling from the Lord. And that calling was to step away from being a president of a school and to care for his wife, who had just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And he just felt very clearly, the Lord is calling me to full-time care for my wife. And there were those at that Bible college that pushed back and, and said to him, you know, you're, you're leaving the Lord's work uh, to do this. And he said, no, this is the Lord's work, right? This is what the Lord is calling to me in this season, right? And he trusted, right? The Lord will proclaim um, the goodness of him who brings us from um, out of darkness into light, through whatever he calls me to, right? And so again, whatever the Lord is calling you to, is say, Lord, how are you proclaiming your goodness through me in this? How am I, I'm serving as a, a priest uh, to you, representing you? If this all feels a little overwhelming, maybe if you feel a little bit like, okay, I'm supposed to hear this message of repentance, but I'm supposed to preach this message of repentance, let me just give you a starting place, a good place to begin, which is seen in that um, final uh, paragraph there of our reading. When um, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. I think to begin in that place of reflecting on and living in the worthiness of Jesus, right? that we are not even worthy to carry his sandals. I don't think John's exaggerating there. I don't think he's being superfluous. I think he is being very honest. Look, I know that this Messiah who is to come Right, I'm not even worthy to be the forerunner, to speak of him. Right, he will come in grace. He will come um, in truth. Right, and I humble myself before him. And that, again, is a great starting place in the season of Advent to say, Lord, may I just be more aware of your might, of your goodness, of your power, of your holiness. And out of that, right, out of setting my eyes on you, may I be open to hear whatever word of repentance, whatever call to repentance you have for me. Out of that, may I share you with others. Out of an awe of you, may I more love others. That's an amazing thing um, about the Lord. As we have more and more awe of him, as we submit ourselves more and more to him, our love for other people actually grows. It was loving for John to say to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you brood of vipers. Jesus actually spoke that way to them as well. Clearly, that was a loving thing to say, you need to be shocked right now. You need to hear this message. It was bold, it took courage. And that courage again came from a submission to the Lord. So let's pray for that, for ourselves. Lord, we know we're not John the Baptist. We're thankful for him. We're thankful for his ministry. But Lord, we know that for each one of us, um, you have a call. You have um, uh, people um, that you are calling us to bless and to love. You have um, places of influence, I believe, that you're calling us to live into and to use. And so, Lord, I pray for each one here that they would um, know a joy in their calling, that they would know a right confidence from you in the, in the places that you are calling them, in their marriages, if they're married, in their friendships, um, in their vocational work, in the different places you have placed them. And, Lord, may we be a people marked by repentance, not again because we're afraid of you, but because we love you and honor you. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.